What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith. I got my co-host, Shu and Raul. And we also have Steve Clark from the Devil's Den with us. I'm going to talk about the reaction to Pitt. Duke kind of crushes them, 86-56. And then we're going to talk a lot about the UNC game, senior night, what it means to us, uh, what the game represents. But before we do that, I was kind of thinking a little bit, if we win Saturday, does K get coach of the year? Yeah, I would say that would lock it up because right now, who would you say is the sort of second place or the uh, the, the competition? Uh, Mike Bray, right? Probably Steve Forbes also, probably, right, in, right. The, probably in the discussion. Yeah. Notre Dame has four losses. And if we lost on Saturday, we'd have uh, four as well. So, you know, just kind of, even though we have the tiebreaker against them, winning the ACC like outright by a game, I think, puts his stamp on it a little bit more. And then there's the factor that it's his last year. So how much legacy vote comes in there too? You know, this kind of career achievement award thing. You remember the last time that we, uh, that we did the podcast and we, and we did our prediction for the UNC Duke game and Josh, I think you like completely blew us out of the water and like you accurately predicted like how much of a blowout it was, was going to be like, I, I wonder if we're going to see something similar here. Like, I wonder if we're not going to see like one of the best performances by a Duke team, like in recent memory in a UNC game. Like I, you just have to think that this team with as focused as they have been, uh, especially as the season has gone on and in recent games, I just get the feeling like they want to make a statement. They want to make a statement in coach K's last home game ever, uh, last UNC game ever. So if, if they make a statement, like I think they're capable of doing in this game, like you just, like you have to give it to him. Like, when's the last time? When's the last time Duke won the the regular season, you know, championship? Like this, this has been this has been, you know, everything that at least in the regular season, like what you want, you know, for a Duke team to perform. Like they've done it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I guess the last time we won the regular season outright was what 2006, right? And then yeah, we shared it shared in, in ten two, yeah. in ten with Maryland. Yeah. Will he win it? I think he's deserving of it, obviously. I mean, a lot of times you look at a team, what what they were the prior year and what the turnaround is. And if you think of it in that regard, I mean, last year we were, let's be honest, we were pretty terrible. I mean, it was probably <laughs> the worst season besides maybe that 95 season that I can remember. You know, it, it was bad. Um, and sure, we brought in some stud freshmen, but we're still working with a lot of the same cast of characters. So to go from that to this in a year, um, you know, I think he's deserved of it. I don't know um, if he gets it because, like Steve said, Steve Steve Forbes has done a phenomenal job at Wake Forest as well, turning that around. Um, I don't know if Coach K is actually – didn't they say he's never won ACC Coach of the Year, right? That doesn't seem right to me. I mean, I mean it doesn't seem right. They only started rewarding it, like, in the last right. 15 years or so. I thought that's what they said on the broadcast, but maybe I'm, I'm wrong. But either way, like, it seems like he should have won it a lot more times than he – hasn't right kind of like the lebron mvp like he probably should have been mvp more times but for whatever reason voter fatigue or whatever you want to call it yeah i bet if he did get it it was back in like the 80s or 90s but then once you establish yourself as that good it's like almost like it's a given right and duke teams are expected given their talent level and given what coach k has done to you know be top of the conference every year so even when it does happen it's not 
quite recognized as much as, you know, some of these coaches who maybe take a faltering program like Steve Forbes and bring it up to national recognition. Yeah. Cause I mean, basically he could have won it from like 98 to 06, probably every single year. Right. Right. If it wasn't K's last year, it would really be a toss up to me. Um, and I would lean towards somebody like Forbes or Bray getting it. But I think winning the ACC coupled with the sort of legacy vote is really going to be what pushes it over the edge. But that's provided we get a win on Saturday because it, that the taste in a voter's mouth is going to matter, I think. You know, if they just saw us come out and, you know, underperform – that's going to have a very different effect than if they see us like Steve is kind of predicting, just blow the doors open, which I'm actually more confident about now than I was even like a week ago about this game being a possible blowout. So it just kind of speaks to what we've done recently. Well, just to jump in real quick, cause I don't want to give our listeners bad information. Um, Coach K has won it five times, but maybe what I saw is he hasn't won it since 99. That was the last time he won it. Uh, he won it twice in the eighties. Uh, three times in the 90s, uh, 97 season, 99 season, and the 2000 season was the last year. And this is like the same discussion that you could have with, I mean, when you think about like some of the all-time great, you know, teams in, in any sport, like professional sport, you know, you think about the all-time coaches and you and you realize like, you know, those guys maybe in later years when their programs are just consistently excellent year after year after year, and they've built that standard, you know, that they're, they're the benchmark, you know? And so those coaches, like, even though, you know, they're the, they're the greatest coaches of their generation, like oftentimes they don't get the individual season, you know what I'm saying? Just because there, there are other teams like we're talking about now, there's other teams that have a great individual season and their head coach deserves a recognition, but it doesn't mean anything less, you know, for your program because your program is the benchmark for everybody else, you know? Yeah. I just hope that it's not like it to me, it sucks that it is his last year and he's probably going to get it because I don't want it to be seen as like a charity thing because I think that this might be, we've seen some of the best coaching this year than I think we've seen probably in a little while to me. Um, not that we've seen like that those were, were bad, but I think he's been really good this year. And even Sewell on Dre's podcast was saying, you know, he's the GOAT, but the GOAT, the GOAT's not the GOAT every night, right? And so he was talking about how good he was in that Virginia game. He was like, he was in his bag, you know, like what he was doing, the adjustment to Kihei whilst maintaining, we talked about that last week. Um, so he's done some really, really good stuff this year. So I hope it's not just a, a charity thing, but, uh, well, let's, let's talk about Pitt a little bit and then we'll get to the good stuff. Um, the main story here was, was, was Trevor, right? Keels just kind of went off, was just hunting his shot a little bit there. Um, really aggressive and control probably his best game of the year. Right. I mean, the, what was it? Kentucky. Or Kentucky, Kentucky wasn't great, right? Kentucky, or no, Kentucky, Kentucky he was wasn't. 25. Kentucky, he was. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's had some other ones, some pretty decent ones in there, but to me, that was probably the best, the best game of his career so far at Duke. What, what do y'all think, Raul? Yeah, I mean, what was interesting to me is, how, like you said, how much he was hunting his shot, but the game before versus Syracuse, he takes four shots. So I don't know if he's kind of learning to feel out his opponent and if he has a good matchup that he likes, or he just kind of, you know, senses, okay, I'm hot tonight. I'm feeling it. Now I'm going to uh, take some shots, you know, versus earlier in the year, it just seemed like he was just going to get 12 or 13 shots no up no matter what. 
So there seems to be a little bit more uh, judgment on his part now. Yeah, I would agree that I think it was a, it was his best game. I mean, the Kentucky game right off the off the bat, twenty five points. Um, I think it was the Clemson game that I was at too, where he had like twenty five in that one. But yeah, I mean, this one going ten of fifteen, five of eight from three, and and confident they weren't. You know, some of them were where he put the ball on the floor, did a little hesitation, you know, pull up jumper. Um, but it wasn't anything like really, really heavily contested, like a four shot, right? So all within the flow of the game. Um, I loved what I saw out of him. I mean, if like you guys, I think John Watson has described him before as more of a gunner that gets hot than a sniper, right? So the night city is gunning and hot, you know, ride the hand. Yeah, it really changes the team. Um, Steve, I think you made a really unique point too, because we talked about like this team has like, we thought we we thought Paolo was going to be kind of that true alpha guy, right? And he maybe he can be, but our strength has came in balance this year. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so the lack of a true dynamic point guard is a weakness, but we've kind of turned it into the strength because we've had so many different guys. Paolo, we need you to kind of get other guys the ball. Dell, we need you to be the guy to, to facilitate. Okay, Dell, let's move you off ball. Jeremy's got it going. Let's put him in there. Keels, we need you to to come in. And what it's done now is they've all done that. So it's now it's a part of their game and it's very just natural. That is, that is such a fantastic observation, Josh. Like I've, that's the thing I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. And in some ways it kind of reminds me of the last two national championship teams uh, uh, for Duke. Like you think about how balanced both of those teams were. And even though they had guys on each of those teams that were capable of going off and did go off, you know, on, on different nights, like you think about, you know, with the with the 2015 team, like you think about Tyus Jones at UVA, you know, and how he kind of emerged, you know, over the second half of the season as he got more comfortable. But even still, there were nights where, you know, it was Quinn Cook who was shooting the ball. Like my, I guess my big picture point, like with with this team that I've been thinking a lot about, is the balance is such a good thing. And I know there's been a lot of people. I've seen the observations on Twitter, and they're good observations about, like, imagine what this team would look like, you know, in March you know, or early April, if everybody hits all at once. And I, and I agree with that point, but the bigger picture to me is the fact that each, each game, this team is capable. Even if you have a guy who's having an off night, this team is able to pick each other up because of that balance. And that to me is such a huge benefit for them going into the, into the ACC tournament. And then the end and, and into the NCAA tournament because teams have to prepare for everybody on that roster because they know anybody can go off. And if that balance is such a threat, like it is, if Duke is able to capitalize on that going forward, which I think they can, like, I don't see how you beat them. Like that, that depth, that, that scoring ability across the board is such a huge benefit for them. And it's interesting how the, you mentioned the injuries and the, or like the last two title teams, we could probably say maybe 2010 was a little bit unique, but all of them, right? Even back in the 90s, what like did uh, Bobby kind of like, what did he break his wrist or hurt his ankle? They had to move Grant to point there for a little bit for that. Um, and then 01, when Boozer goes out, if Boozer doesn't go out, do we unleash the three point offense, right? Because that created that balance that really drove us. Uh, 2015, if, if Ja doesn't have the ankle issues, right? We were heavily reliant on Okafor towards the end, though. Winslow's coming on strong, right? He's at the four, hits opened up. Tyus has got this confidence. And Jaw's still playing great, but we were able to get balance. Um, hopefully, you know, we strike it again here. And and, uh, 
and we're also like, we're not even talking about, it's not just the offensive balance, it's the defensive balance and it's the rebounding balance. Like this team, they complement each other so well. And you could just see like in the last couple games, how well they understand how to help each other, how good they are boxing out on the weak side. Like they're doing all the little things so well. And I think that's why you heard that comment from Coach K uh, recently about the thing that he saw in the eyes of the guys when they were preparing for UVA. I think he's seen that this team is clicking with all the aspects of the game and they're complementing each other. So I'm fascinated to see where this goes because they're clicking in all aspects of the game that you need to. Yeah. Yeah. He was locked in defensively to Keels. So you're talking about that, right? Both sides. He was locked in. He was hounding that dude. Um, I guess we should talk about though these the last two games, it's like Keels and Mark have kind of flip-flopped a little bit, right? Like Mark was like the highlight against Syracuse going off. Uh, I think Trev had like four points there, right? Fast forward to Pitt. Mark did not have a good game, really. Uh Huey or Hugley or however they were pronouncing it, um, really kind of got the best of him, kind of dominated him a little bit there. Um what did, what were y'all seeing in that? Was that a one-off? Was that Mark just coming off a really big game and maybe not handling the moment as well? Was it matchup? I think it's a little bit matchup dependent. Throughout the year, we've seen Mark struggle a little bit with those bigger uh, centers. You know, he can handle a Timmy or somebody like that, but um, or even Baycott, who you know is big but not to the level of Hewley. And so that that just girth, I think, just kind of threw Mark back a little bit. And then Hewley just did a good job taking uh, advantage of his opportunities. Like it was clear we decided to sag off him and we gave him a couple mid-range jumpers, a three-pointer, and he hit them all basically but one. But we were definitely better overall, I would say, with Mark out of the game in this particular matchup. Uh, Theo gave us some really good minutes, a little bit of foul trouble from him, but he had some great blocks and defense. And then later in the game, I think we went small when we really blew it open, if yep. I'm correct, with yep. people at the five. But to the point earlier about balance, the fact that we have the luxury to, okay, Mark's not working tonight. This is not a good matchup for him. Slide Paolo down or bring Theo in and we don't really lose any size. Yeah, so just uh, the versatility there is, uh, was big. And, you know, that contributed to this, the fact that we blew them out. Yeah, and I, I think uh, it's definitely a matchup thing because, like you said, Raul, we didn't really have a problem with Timmy. I don't know if you guys remember the Ohio State game. Their center, Zeb Key, you probably never heard of him, probably never will again, but he had a career high. Uh, he was <laughs> a big, wide body, and he was he was kind of doing whatever he wanted to against Mark. And it was I, I think it's just it's that that wide body that gives him gives him trouble. But then, like you said, the versatility, being able to to be able to shift things around and not have to have him play 36 minutes. That's, I mean, it's a luxury. I don't know if we've ever really had these kind of pieces and at least not in a long time to be able to do this offensively and defensively. Yeah. And I think, and I think the, the other side of it too, like I, I get that Mark maybe struggled a little bit in this game. I also give him credit and I'm not saying that you guys aren't, but like I, I give him credit because, you know, in a game like that, like they need him to take a tough matchup like that. And even if it doesn't come out, you know, individually, you know, maybe he didn't dominate that matchup like he's done in other matchups. His presence on the court allows guys like Theo and uh, and Paulo to not have to guard the primary post guy, 
and you see the impact that they have on the glass and just being able to affect shots and get the team out in transition and whatnot. Because even though individually, you know, the bigs that were matched up with Mark, maybe they had a really good day. Like he helps them win the larger war because even if it's, and it's just like in the NBA, like even if you have, you know, a star on the other team who goes off, you know, if you're by virtue of how you deploy your defense, how you play together as a team, even if one guy goes off from your opponent, if you're playing good team defense, that's how you can win the game. And I think you saw that with Duke. Like they, they were able to dominate because their ball pressure was good. We rebounded the ball really well. So I give Mark credit for even though, even though he had a tough night, like he still played through it, you know, and he tried his best. Let, let me also jump on that because I, I think you're right. We don't want to sound like we're crapping on Mark. Um, whenever we play a team with a their best, Alondis Williams, for example, you know, Wendell's going to take that matchup. He's going to guard. But just like we talked about in the, the pit preview, you know, Hugh Gilly was their best player. We knew that coming in, at least the, the guy that's going to score the most. So, you know, Mark's not used to taking on the best player necessarily if they're not a big man, right? So, of course, he's going to get, you know, the matchup might favor the other guy if that's he's the option 1A on his team where Mark's not, you know. So I don't want it to sound like we're disparaging Mark for sure. Yeah, and that's a good point because usually um, Mark's going to be, his role is going to be more as a helper, right? It's going to be the sort of back line of the defense there, the uh, the person who's kind of covering up for other people's mistakes. Like if somebody gets blown by on the perimeter or misses some rotation. So it's not usual. This is not a typical thing that he has to deal with. I mean, he did against Timmy and he did against Baycott and he won both those matchups, I thought. But how many other games this year has he really had the primary defensive responsibility on kind of a one-on-one level? And credit to the pit guy and to Capel of realizing that like, hey, this guy wants to defend space. He doesn't want to defend you. If we make him start to come out and defend you, that gets him out of that space, right? And now we got him backpedaling. Now we got him like kind of getting underneath the rim versus Mark likes to stay an anchor, right? And he can, I'll give you that 18-footer. I'll give you that 15-footer. Well, now that you've made three in a row, okay, you got to come out a little bit, right? You got And as soon as he did, they, they started killing him down low. Um, I don't think it's anything to – I'm not worried about I mean, hell, last guys I asked you if he was the best dude big of all time, right? So it's, <laughs> it's the, the ebb and flow of sports fan, well, fandom. Well, it's um, the uh, TDD pod jinx, right? Yeah. So as long as we avoid Dewan Blair or Big Baby Davis in the tournament, Mark should be fine. <laughs> yeah, and to – To that point, like we were up 16 to three and Mark was on the floor. So clearly it wasn't that big a problem, right? Um, We got the lead with, I bet if we looked at his plus minus, I haven't looked at it, but I bet it's fine because of that 16 to three lead that we jumped out to. And dude got hot, you know, like once he started hitting a few, you could tell that he was, he was doing everything he could to keep him within 15, you know, 12, 15, 17 for a while, but they just don't pit don't have enough. Hopefully, uh, Capel can withstand this and keep going. But um, any other main points, I guess, for this before we jump into the the Carolina stuff? Any final takeaways from Pitt? I mean, I know that hot start. Like I was watching it, and I'm like, did I pick the wrong DVR game? Is this not the last game? And then <laughs> I'm like, oh wow, no, this is Pitt. Okay, so we're going to do this yeah. again. That's great. Yeah, it was a repeat of Syracuse. Yeah, which was yeah. nice to see. I was worried we talked about it on the pod. Like I thought we'd win comfortably, but I was worried about lack of focus, making it a little closer than it needed to be coming just a couple days before we'd blown out Syracuse. 
we're on the road again. Uh, we've got Carolina coming up. That's the big game in everybody's mind. So to be able to sort of just maintain that focus was really impressive, I thought. That is such a good point, Raul. I mean, they're just... You know, to to win three road games like that is a testament to their maturity. And I think from a shot taking perspective, that was a big thing for me in the in the last two games. Like they're by and large, this team, they're waiting to take the right shot. You know, like they're sharing the ball, like you saw it a ton in the in the Syracuse game. Like they're just they're being patient while attacking. And I just love the offensive patience that they're showing. They're not they're not settling for bad shots. They're taking good shots because of that balance that we talked about. And Kay talked about it too. I think that's that's what makes them so hard to guard. If they continue to be patient like that, like how do you guard that? Because they're willing to work and make the extra pass. And it's really kind of interesting too, because coming into this to the year, I thought shooting was going to be a major concern for me, right? I was like, shooting could be the Achilles heel of this team. Um we're one of the best shooting teams in the country, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. from three or what, what are we 21 and three point and what's our two point 20, 22. So, so yeah, there's a balance 25 and <laughs> a uh, top 25 in both categories. You'd like to see us get to the free throw line a little bit more to up our offense, offensive efficiency even more. I think that's why we have those kind of long lulls because you know, we're primarily, if we're not getting a layup, it's a jump shot. We're not manufacturing those easy points at the line. But on the other hand, if you're top 25 in both of those categories, how many teams can say that? I mean, that's if we if we can up the free throw rate that because we're shooting it well. So if we could get that to increase along with the others, and I know AJ accounts for a lot of it, but it's not just AJ. AJ's made like 59 or 63s on, on in the year, which is really good. But for context, I think what like jj's hit like over 200 in a year or something right like like 190 something now obviously that's jj right but it still goes to show that like <laughs> the you best know, dale's, whatever right <laughs> dale's over 40 keels since injury has really trended back up um roaches seems to kind of be like four for five or like one for five kind of deal yeah. that's fine baker's been pretty consistent palos is going back up 34 percent, which is you know it's okay um, yeah, and so okay. he doesn't shoot a ton, right? It's fine. Um, Paolo was down at like 29. Kills is up to like 45% over his last couple games, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just since his uh, injury, since he came back, he's his efficiency has been off the charts, really. He's been shooting like 48% from the field, 42 or 43% from three. Um, free throws still aren't great, but uh, like two to one or even close to three to one assist to turnover. He's just kind of been a completely different player in the last, uh, you know, 15 games or whatever it's been. No, and I think this is where, like, you see, like, how the offensive balance is really paying off because how many teams, not just Duke teams, but, I mean, just college basketball in general, like, have you seen in the past, too, they have guards that can shoot it and they take plenty of shots to the detriment of having a balanced offense that also works through the post. And I think this team has kind of figured out, like, look at all the weapons that we have on the interior who are able to move, cut off ball, be open for lobs, like Marcus. Like, I just think this team, and Case talked about it, this team, I think, gets that if we share the ball, we could be a really good offensive team, and it doesn't matter who goes off on it. So if you have that mindset with your guards and your posts, like, that could be perfect storm, guys, right? And I think we're seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the key that I think is, like, well, I mean, I don't know, but it has to be incredibly difficult to convey that to 18-year-olds, right? Like in the one-and-done era to like, don't make them beat Paolo, make them beat Duke, 
right? Like use your skills, use the pass. And he is so good at those. Like, I think that's really what he wants to do. Like he'd rather pass, I think is, is what philosophy is. Um, but it's been really cool that that's been a strength for us. And I think that's why we're, where we're at. Um, but we'll jump into the UNC, but before I do that, Steve, I want to just kind of, you got a unique perspective here. What is this game like for you covering Duke as a byproduct covering K this is the final home game in Cameron. What's going on for you through this process? Yeah, a lot of people have been asking me about it and it's it's I have to be honest, it's really strange and it's it's really odd uh, in a lot of ways because I I remember the first time I ever saw coach K in person, uh we were actually at my old high school in Hampton, Virginia. And he walked in after having just won the national championship and he was going in there to watch JJ Reddick and Shavla Randolph. And that's the first time I ever saw him in person. And I've been at events since then, covered them, you know, at different games. I was there in Indianapolis when uh, Zion and RJ and that whole group like ripped Kentucky to shreds. And like all throughout having covered him for so long and in different ways, especially on the recruiting side of things, it's just it's just so strange to know, like we're finally here and you could tell like he all season has been like holding off, holding off, doesn't want to get into it. And now in a couple of days, we're actually going to be there and all the emotions are going to be there for him. And you know, it's going to be a really unique situation. And that's why I think for me covering this, I'm just fascinated to see how the team plays because I think this team wants to win this game for him and wants to dominate this game for him. And if they play like I think they're capable of playing, I think they're going to give him a send-off like he's never going to forget. So, I don't know. A lot, lot more I could say, but I just think this is going to be such a unique thing to watch because there's so much history there, you know, with him. Right. And that you I think you hit on the whole key of the preview just there, but we'll still toss it around, right, just because why not. Um, but I, I think you hit on it is, will they go out and take this for K, or, is the ex, or do they – there's a trap of you come in expecting like, there's no way we can lose this game. Like this is destiny fate. Right. And if we take that approach, you know, I think we could get in trouble, but if we come out with like, you know, we're going to just, they're not ready for this. Right. Like we're, well, we to, got the dogs. Right, dogs. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what we're more likely to do that than the other, I think. So there's a danger, I think also of getting kind of almost overly emotional and putting yeah. too much pressure on yourself. Like, we've got to go up 20 in the first five minutes and then you come out and you're really tight. That would be, it would not surprise me if uh, for the first couple minutes, we were a little bit uh, disoriented and then we settled down just because there's going to be so many emotions from that night. I, I believe 80, 80 players are going to be in attendance supposedly. They, I know that I know they sent out over a hundred uh, ticket packages for former or former players that do former managers and all that. And to your point, I was looking at the NBA schedule for Saturday and there's not a huge amount of NBA teams playing that day. And there's an even smaller amount of current, uh, you know, NBA players who are former Duke players uh, that are playing on Saturday. So I wonder, I, I think we're going to see a lot of current and former players there for sure. It should be a whole vibe in Cameron, right? Like it's going to be, it's going to be pretty intense. Um, it's going to be really cool to see some of the like the guys from the early '80s there, and then maybe someone from like 
2016, 2017 is also there. Um, it's Kenny really Denard cool. and and Jason Tatum like dapping. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. literally like yeah. old enough yeah. to be his father, if not like <laughs> his grandfather. <laughs> yeah, I wonder yeah. what hat. On us as a side note, I wonder what hat Denard's gonna wear because his hat game is. Oh, you know he's got it. Yeah. It's strong. It's super strong. Mm-hmm. You see well, it on Facebook, right? Well, we know he's wearing the crazy camo. Uh, jacket right like every game i went to this year yeah. i look across i'm like all right there's kenny yep. I, I love how committed a fan he is you know it's like there's some former players who you can tell like they'll come back and stuff but it was you know it was a business decision to them versus some of these guys who just are first and foremost duke fans right like even an andre dawkins the fact that he has this duke-based pod and that if you follow him during the games, he's constantly tweeting about what's going on. And, you know, especially with his career not going super smoothly, it would have been easy for him to kind of disconnect from Duke. You, you always have to have a little bit of extra love for these players who stay so connected and so invested in what the team is doing and follow every team every year. Yeah. You're bringing, you're bringing back some memories for me, Raul, because I've, I mean, you guys have probably read them like doing all those old uh, Devil's Den alumni interviews with former players. Like, you know, I, I think back to guys like Ricky Price, you know, and, and others that I was able to interview for that Robert series. Brady. Yeah. yeah Austin, Austin, Austin Rivers. Like, you, you think about those guys who maybe they went through some struggles, you know, with Kay. And, and yet, like, when you talk to them and you see how they went through the other side of it with him and how the relationship, you know, regrew or changed over time, like, like that's why I think it's going to be really, you know, emotional for those guys to know like when they're going to be there in the building for them, all those past memories are all going to be there for them. You know what I'm saying? And do you think Chris Duhon's little brother gets passed around just for like old times sake? Oh, <laughs> uh, good times. It'll be crazy to see who's there and like how many of them are expected and how many of them are going to be surprises. You know, there's a few guys I know will not be there, but you never know like I thought that William Avery had kind of disconnected himself from the program. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, or was it last year, he comes back, you know, to continue his education, kind of gets involved a little bit in the basketball side of things. I'm not yep. clear. Steve, do you know exactly what he's doing? He um he was with the team as a like a graduate assistant right, and he was right. working he was working on finishing his uh, his degree. I don't I don't remember if he actually f- finished his degree requirements or not, because I think I remember interviewing him about it. Like as he was, he was, he coached, um, I think a female, like ladies, AAU basketball for a while, like down in Georgia. And I remember talking to him for an alumni interview. And he said at the time that he was talking with Kay and Duke about trying to come back to finish his degree. So I don't remember if he finished his degree or not, but you know, he's a great example of a guy who like in that interview, like talked about how, you know, when he first left, like it was really hard. Corey McGetty, the same thing. Like when they left early, things were, you know, pretty difficult, you know, between, you know, him and the, and coach K, but then to, I, I need to pull up the interviews. Cause like when you talk with those guys like him and Ricky price and others who went through hard times, like it was really fascinating to kind of hear the brutal honesty of how they had grown far apart, but then they, how they came back together, you know, as, as they grew into adults. I mean, it was fascinating to see that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, seeing all the players come back. I'm also really looking forward, and I'm curious, just what does Duke do to honor Kay, right? We've seen him go on the road, and we've seen some of these other things. Yeah. 
this has got to be like, in my mind, I'm thinking you got to do something pretty massive, right? Like it's got to be a building. It's got to be a huge endowment to MYK. There's got to be something. I know it's not going to be Cameron being renamed, right? Because K would be adamantly against that. Um, it's already Coach K Court, but there's got to be something big. Coming. Put his, uh, what put what are y'all thinking? That, what's no. Duke going to do to to kind of honor <laughs> K? No, okay. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, you know, it's obviously going to be bigger than some of the cool little gestures we've seen elsewhere, which I've loved, by the way, uh, to come back to the pit game. The the fist statue was really cool. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just because it's something that's personal to Kay and something that he, you know, uses as a kind of teaching thing all the time. But yeah, I don't know. What what are they going to just rename the university? K, just drop the D, U, and E. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that it would be cool, like if we had a, a jersey for this one game that had the D, U, but the K was just yeah, a little bit be, bigger. Right. You know, just a one one night game, you know, one night jersey. That'd be cool. But, yeah, that would be cool. I actually thought, I don't remember who started the, the, the thread on the Devil's Den uh, premium basketball board. But somebody had the idea, and I thought it was great about like, what wouldn't it be cool if they all came out wearing suits, you know, for the only time this season? Like, I just thought, what a great way, you know, like, you know, if they end up doing something like that, like, what a great way to kind of go out, you know, with last home game for him, last UNC game, touch a class, you know what I'm saying, with a suit. And then they're like, rip away, and there's like jerseys. <laughs> under- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tear away. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to your fit, the fist, you know, with the Pittsburgh steel made out of, I, I like those ones that were like, um, particular to the the plate, like Louisville gave us the Maker's Mark and the Louisville Slugger. Right. So, like, yep. I, I like those kind of you know those gifts there. And the Syracuse uh, scholarship thing, it's like um, you know because it is a military based scholarship. That's particular right. to K too. So, just you know these these uh, coaches or programs showing some understanding of what K cares about and what's special to him, and doing it in that like personable way where it's not just kind of like this. You know, oh, whatever. Well, that's fine too. But like you said, these last three, especially the fist from Capel, um, he was doing that. And I was kind of thinking the Game of Thrones, the iron sharpens iron, right? I, I like that. That was really cool. That was really neat. Capel got emotional too. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of yeah, a neat a moment. Nice long hug there. I yeah. That too. Yeah. And then went and proceeded to kind of get destroyed. But, you know, <laughs> that's just that's what happens when you play K, I guess. Um, well, we, I mean, we previewed UNC last time, and I, there's not a ton of differences really philosophically and I think, the game. But is there anything that stands out to you all? For me, it's it's not so much Baycott. It's really, and I, I hate that I have to say that, it's Caleb Love. <laughs> and I, that just eats me to think that the guy that can be 3 of 16 can come in and beat you. But it's him, right? If we keep him in that mode like he was last time, completely disengaged, completely rattled, throwing the ball away, make him jack shots and hunt shots, not step into shots. Like Syracuse dared him to shoot that three and he beat him, right? Like he, he beat him. They were up one, 15 seconds, and they dared him and he beat him. Um, let's not do that. That's, that's I think, the main thing. Baycott can get his. Manic can get his. I don't think he has the stamina again to go with us for 40 minutes. But love to me is the guy uh, that we need to key in on. I'm curious for you all seeing it differently, similarly, or who who is your kind of key to the game here? Yeah, I don't think I don't think Manic's going to go off again. Um, I really feel that that was a one time thing. One uh, one key to me is I would like to see Paolo win his matchup. He should yes. be able to dominate Leaky Black. I don't care how good a defender Leaky Black is. 
And if he's not dominating Leaky Black, then maybe we need to consider some strategies to get a switch or something like that. But, you know, he was the guy, only guy really who struggled in the last UNC game. I think they might put Leaky on AJ, right? Like, AJ was the one that killed him last time. That's your best defender. That's kind of a chess match that I'm interested to see, and I totally agree with you guys about um, about Caleb Love. I think I'm sure you're going to see Wendell Moore on him. I'm sure you're going to see, you know, Roach on him at times. But if if you're Love and you know how much you struggled in the last two game, and you know you got a chance to make history in this game, like you know he's going to be motivated. Yeah, he wants that moment so bad. You know that he's yeah. the guy that wants it. Um, and to me, if they want to put Leaky on Pyle, I know they didn't do that to start the game, and they did it kind of like somewhere in the first half, I think, um, and that really shifted things. But at the same time, you can move Leaky wherever you want, but Manning's yeah. got to guard somebody. So yeah. whoever you want to you want to put him on AJ, he'll give you twenty seven again. You know, you want yeah. to leave him on Paula, he'll be on the bench in six minutes. Whatever <laughs> you want to do, you know, you put him wherever you want, and if, as long as we recognize that, like we did last time, and yeah. just target it. I know this sounds crazy, but I wonder if we don't see another like heavy transition game. I like I know we're used to like UNC being the team that tries to get out and press and be in transition and pass Duke gears uh, matchups, but I this is this is the kind of game where I think Duke could dominate on the glass. And I think they could get out and transition a ton. And if they could do that, then I think we could see another game like we saw, you know, in the in the matchup in Chapel Hill. Those first few minutes are going to be like huge because we're going to come in with a lot of energy, right? So that could lead us to getting beat back door or like UNC kind of hitting some shots and settling in. But if UNC isn't ready, like give us a chance to get a steal and a layup and this thing's going to get wide open, right? Like if we're able to start that run early, like we have been. I think the key to me is defensive rebounding. Like as you can pressure them into taking that first bad shot initially. Um, but as if a lot of times I've watched them, they'll, they'll get an offensive rebound and you're in scramble mode and they kick it out. And here's RJ Davis sitting wide open on the three point line. And he's going to hit that more times than not. So as long as we play good defense like we've been playing, but then also get that stop by rebounding the ball, I, I think it takes care of itself. That is such a good point, Dustin. And I think that is one thing that I've noticed Duke has been really good at is boxing out on the weak side and doing a good job with defensive rebounding like that. That is such a great point that you make there because that that is a key to the game. Like if they can control the defensive glass like they have been and it, it all comes from basic defensive bo boxing out on the weak side like yeah they could they could have a monster game and i think we're focusing on it more because we've talked about the rebound and and how it was you know slumping there in the middle of the season but here lately like i've seen roach like run in and just throw his body into people you know and get a rebound and get nailed and get a foul called you know everybody's you know so, so AJ and Dale against Pitt, right? Yeah, AJ yeah. had like six or seven. Dale had six or seven, right? Yeah. That's what we need, the wings crashing. Yeah, yeah. I meant to bring that up uh, when we were talking about the Pitt game, actually. Uh, the last two games, I believe, Paolo's had one rebound in each game, but it hasn't mattered. Is, you know, And so you're, you might spin it negatively and say, what's wrong with Paolo's rebounding? But no. it's, it's been a team effort. Uh, you know, I think Paolo earlier in the year kind of had to have these big rebounding numbers because he was really him and Mark were really our only rebounders. And the fact that Moore and AJ and Keels and Roach, all of them are chipping in a little bit more, you know, I mean, we, 
were even with Pitt in rebounds, but Pitt missed like 30 more shots than we did. So in reality, we killed them on the glass. Uh, Syracuse, we killed on the glass too. We had 17 offensive rebounds. And it's a great reverse like philosophy when you have guys, if your guards and wings will do it, when you have guys like Paolo and Mark, Steve's talking about the transition game. If those guys crash, we don't lose anything, right? Because if, if those guys aren't going to run the floor and if like, if Paolo is not the type of guy that can catch the outlet and then go coast to coast, it doesn't work, but they are right. So more can get the ball. You know, ideally you would think, well, I'd rather my big get the ball and kick it to my point guard. More can get it and hit Paolo and March running for a rim, right? Like that's what's really changed is as those guys crash, it allows the bigs to leak. And we've really seen that play out pretty well for us the last week. I know it's on the road. We played great on the road. This is at home. Um, so that might be a little bit of a difference there. I think we're kind of hitting on like what I thought, like I remember when we did the season uh, preview pod um, to start the season, like I thought this was how Duke was capable of winning. Like I really genuinely thought that they were going to be a team that dominated the glass on both, on both sides of the court. And I remember like saying like, if they could dominate the defensive glass, especially with that starting lineup, I just thought there's, it's going to be hard to guard them. And this is one of the biggest areas of growth that I've seen of Mark Williams from high school to this year, his commitment to rim running every single possession, like that's why they're lethal in uh, in transition because their wings are, are crashing the glass and he's getting out ahead for those easy layups. And he's got great hands. That helps too, right? Yeah. Like he's able yeah. to catch everything down there. Um, that that makes it really work. And so hopefully we see that from Mark again. Maybe the, the pit was just an outlier. We get back, we get focused. Um, so we did it last time. We'll do it again. I'll go last this time. Let's jump in. What are your predictions for the game? Final score? What you got? Roll us into you first. I think it's going to be a little bit tighter. Um, I hope that Steve's prediction is right, but I think that Carolina is going to be extra motivated just because they got humiliated on their home court. And I think we do come out maybe just a little bit tight. Um, and I can even see it being kind of a little bit of a slugfest, maybe. Uh, so I'm going to go with like 71 to 60 Duke. Steve, so what not, you got? Not tight, but you know. like Yeah, yeah. A little lower scoring than yeah. like you might would think. Yeah. I... I'm, I'm, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I'm going to, I'm going to be like Josh was before the, uh, before the first UNC game. I think Duke wins big. I think probably double digits, probably somewhere between 12 to 20 points. And I think they get into the upper eighties for their score. I don't have an exact score, but sort out the math how you will. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shoot what you got. You guys are really going to make me do this, aren't you? Go for it. Take Uh, Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) One to a hundred, Carolina wins. You know, I think, <laughs> it worked think, last time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really hope that it is a blowout. I would love to see something like a 103, 70 something, like just destroy them. I'm kind of more with one because we just haven't played well at home. I, I'm more inclined to see a scenario where we go into the half down like four or five, maybe, and everybody's in panic mode. And then we get in the half, K settles the guys and says, you know, it, I think it, it's a typical Duke-UNC game in that regard, right? Carolina storms us early. We kind of figured out a little bit in the second half. It wouldn't surprise me for us to outscore them by 20-plus in the second half, flip the script, and end up winning by about 15 to, to 20. 
But I, I think that there could be some some emotions for us to kind of weather early, or us be down like ten and have to make some. You know how Pretty many times? Run, have we, yeah. yeah, how many times have we done that to them? I, I imagine those guys are probably pretty ready for this thing to end for K Carolina fans, right? Like, all right. So here's the question. So here's the question. This is, this would be like a side question. Do you remember when, so thinking back to the Seth Curry game at Duke, when they, when they came back to win, mm -hmm. okay. Like the, the huge, like Nolan Smith went off, mm -hmm. yeah. had the, had the big layoff. Yep. I'm wondering if the decibel level in Cameron indoor, when Duke makes a run to come back, gets as loud in this game as that game did right because i were i was watching that game on tv and i just remember like i could feel cameron shaking through the tv like that's how loud it got and i think the potential is there in this game for it to be louder well with all these former players i mean if i'm aj and i got jj reddick behind me yelling shoot the three you know i'm i'm letting them fly i mean i have a feeling that hopefully we we put up a lot of points lots of points it's going to be interesting because I saw that the average ticket price is $5,500, which is like a record by far, right? It's better than like any NBA finals game in recent memory, better than any Duke UNC game. So while you're still going to have students in there that can get in for free, um, does that kind of change the atmosphere of the crowd? are the kind of people who can pay afford $5,500 tickets. Are they going to be the kind of people screaming at the top of their lungs? I don't know. Um, maybe, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like we're talking like a million dollars. So maybe, you know, maybe we still get some kind of, <laughs> you know, it's not just cause that's, uh, that's been a kind of a problem for uh, teams like golden state, right. Where the, the entire front row is just billionaires who don't really care about the game and they're just there to kind of be there. Um, so it'll be, I, I don't know that it'll be the typical crowd simply because of the exclusivity and price of the tickets. I see. I, I take, I take the opposite tack. I think everybody that's going to be there is going to recognize the history of the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think if Duke makes a run, whether it be to take the lead or whether they like extend a lead, you know, by going on a long run, I think it's going to be the loudest Cameron's has, has ever been. Like, I just think people are going to know, like, we're, we're a part of history, you know, in a, in a game like this. And I think if Duke does anything, like, in, in terms of a run, I think it's going to be the loudest it's ever been in there. I really do. I, I wonder if there's any, like, people that they've, like, turned, can you turn people down? Like, look, I don't want to get this off the track, but I don't know if I want former President Obama at this game. Are we like, oh, and... Oh, and two when this guy shows up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pres uh, presidents a aren't a uh, aren't a good luck charm for us. Bill Clinton too in '94. Oh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, well, before we wrap, and this will be the last one. We'll get out of here. Um, it is Kay's final game, so just kind of being a little reflective. Is there a a moment, a single game that stands out to you as a fan? that kind of personifies K or personifies your relationship to Duke. Um, I'll start. And I was thinking about this and there's a ton, but like one of my favorites is the 2013 game against Miami at Duke. And if you remember that game, uh, the game before Miami beats Duke um, down, down 
they're slapping the floor, right? They're doing that whole that whole thing. Ryan Kelly breaks his foot. He goes out. Um, we come back. Miami, they won the ACC that year. I don't know if they were the number one team in the country at the time, but they were up there. Um, yeah, they were. It's, it's a close game. Ryan, Ryan Kelly comes back. He has a great game, but I thought Kay was phenomenal in that game. Like, he throws the jacket. He's slamming his fist. He's down there on all fours, um, you know, banging for the crowd to get going. That just stood out to me. Um, the other moment being, and I've talked about it before on the pod, the 2010 Baylor, Nolan, we get the offensive rebound. You see Kay sitting there on this, and he tells him to shoot it, and he shoots it, and he goes in, and they turn and kind of dap each other up. Those two, for me, kind of personify Kay and, and kind of what I like about him. But I'm curious if you all had a specific game or moment that just kind of that resonates Kay for you. I, I think I think for me, the national championship game against Wisconsin, because we saw it, like how close that game was and the coaching decisions that he had to make due to foul trouble and due to Frank Kaminsky kind of going off the coaching decisions that he made in conjunction with Grayson Allen just kind of losing his freaking mind in, in that game. Like that was a perfect balance, I think, of K understanding how critical the moment was and to see, you know, his veterans, to see Matt Jones and to see Emil Jefferson play the roles that they played to help Duke win in that in that second half with as as tight as that game was, like that, even just from a covering it perspective, not even from a fan perspective, like that was such a good coaching game for him because I think he saw like early on, like we're going to need every single person to contribute. And I think the way he tapped individual players to, to play the way that they were capable of playing and then to see Grayson go off like that, like that's, that was an amazing game to cover and just to see like how, how he coached that game. And he's all about player empowerment. And that probably speaks the best to like, he always talks about not the game loss and the X's and O's. And there we are in the national title game. I have to think the scout or the game plan wasn't give Grayson the ball and get the hell out of his way. Right. But then Grayson starts going and Kay's just like, hey, you know, high ball screen, put him over here. Like, you're out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ja, yeah. Justice, you sit over here beside me and just trust this process. And then it, it just, those things are, are awesome. Yeah, for sure. That's a good one. Yeah, he's, I think he said that he saw our energy was flagging and he was just trying to find energy from somewhere. You know, we had gone down seven, I think, or maybe it was six, but, you know, that's it was when nine, I think. Oh, really? Got all the way to eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then that's when he inserted Grayson in the game and Grayson gave us that huge jolt of energy, you know, just the hustling down, uh, getting that loose ball, uh, knocking it back and bounds. And then standing up and saying, like, let's go, right? Like, and that moment wouldn't have been possible for Grayson if he hadn't brought him along slowly throughout the year. You know, it wasn't till that uh, Wake Forest game at the very end of the year that we really saw Grayson go off. Yep. To the point about that team, the thing I was thinking of was both our recent national title teams, the little kind of mantras or slogans he had for them. So, uh, with that one after Suleiman's dismissed and uh, I forget, Simi. Ojale. Yeah, uh, Ojale left. Yeah. Yep. Right. So then he had the, you know, we're down to eight players. Eight's enough, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in 2010, just be you, use enough. I'm kind of curious to see, like, if we do make, you know, a historic run and manage to win this title, if we'll hear some story like that at the end of this season, because you never hear it until the season's over. Right. 
I don't want to cut you guys off, but Raul, like you hitting on the 2010 team in that way, like him saying to that team, like, I know you guys know the back history, but it's worth talking about because him saying to that group with Zubek and Thomas and Singler and all them, like him saying you're enough, like he knew he could do that with that team because of all the struggles those guys had been through. And I remember talking with like Singler and Shire and all those guys, like how much of a struggle it was for them, their freshman year and their sophomore years, like all the losing that they went through, all the ACC losses that they took, like those were hard roads for those teams early on in those guys' careers. And for him to say to those guys as juniors and seniors, you're enough, like that's one of the greatest coaching slogans, motivational techniques, whatever you want to call it, because he knew those guys had been forged through the fire. They had learned through experience and those guys were prepared. And then I don't know, I could go on for days talking about that, how he coached that team. How it was amazing. That that's probably my favorite thing about him. Like just that will to never give up under any circumstance. Like, you know, my first memory or one of them is the the Leitner shot, right? But in that game, he's telling these guys, even after Woods banks this in and it looks like we're we're gonna lose this game, he comes, you know, hey, we're gonna win this game. And they're thinking he's crazy. We draw up a play, we're gonna do it, execute it, we've worked on it, and we win a game. And he's done that numerous times, right? So I think the the one memory that comes to my mind too that stands out is kind of the opposite of that is in the semifinals when we're getting crushed by Maryland. And then he just tells the guys, like, I'm not going to call any plays. You guys just go out and play. Like, I brought you here and I trust you. You know, I'm not going to do these X and O's and things. Just just go out and play. I believe in you. We can win this game. You're talking about 2001, right? The final 2001, four. yeah. yeah, yeah final they got, we got down 22 in yeah. the first half or something like yeah. that. And then yeah. just 33-point swing. And that yeah. one was – but even 2012, right? the Duke Blue Planet video, and we don't have access to this. And the way it's like this fairy tale ending is crazy. But Kate, the pregame speech, and Austin talked about it, um, and it shows the whiteboard and the video. If you can find the video of it at the end, the pregame speech, all Kate did was go into the whiteboard and he wrote courage, and he underlined it. And then they come back in after the game, and he looks at Austin, and he taps on the thing. Courage. That is like full, like, that's chills. Like, how do you... For it to play out that way, right? And maybe, you know, he's just talking about it in general, but the courage and then for Austin to take that stop, that takes stone to do that, right? And just to go in those moments, that's a great one of like that probably is, Kate, the motivation stuff is like really cool. Yeah, in a um, way, being a great coach is being a great psychologist. You know what I mean? And some coaches, as good as they are at X's and O's, just don't understand that stuff. And you see people flame out for that reason. They just can't. They can't motivate their players. And Kay, you know, it's been maybe because of his military background, um, but he just understands the sort of value of leadership when it comes to winning. You know, obviously he can, you know, he can make some great X's and O's decisions like uh, Steve was talking about with the Virginia game or whatever, but that's not the primary foundation for his success, I don't think. Yeah, no, he he puts... Like you've seen it over his career and it looks different depending on the team. And I think that confidence that he puts in his guys every single year, like those guys know, like he believes in them. He, 
you know, he's willing to structure and change his offense and his defense every single year based around the personnel that he has. And this is one of the things that I love about JJ Reddick's podcast the most is like when you hear him talk about, you know, his past Duke experiences and the things that he learned there, like he talks about the confidence that, you know, K gave him over time. And he talks with guys about that, like what it means to be empowered and what it means, how it affects you to, to be believed in, you know, the way he does. So even if they struggle, you know, you know, through the dog days of the ACC, like you could just see how much it's paid off, like with how much belief and trust he puts into his guys, like they're his guys and they know that, you know, they are his guys. They, they respect that and they believe it and they want to play for him because of that. And I think it's even more impressive that not that he empowers like someone like JJ, but that he has the ability to empower someone like you to then empower JJ. Like he can empower, he can empower other guys to then call out their teammates for not shooting. Cause it's a bad, you not shooting is bad for Duke. That's a whole different level then where I'm getting on shoe. Like, Hey, I need you to be shooting the ball versus like, I need shots. Right. Like when those, that's like the real, the real thing there. Um, and when you hear it, Keel is talking about Dale's really been working with me. Dale's really been trying to say like, I need you to get to your spots. I need you to shoot. Um, that's the stuff I like. That's that kind of like teaching leadership is, is really cool. Um, but well, I, I guess we'll get out of here. Um, hopefully we have a, a big party on Saturday. Uh, really, really looking forward to the reaction. You know, hopefully it's a 17 and three. It's a kind of a celebration. Then we'll get into some tournament talk, but uh, yeah, enjoy the game. You know, I think it's going to be a pretty big game for all Duke fans. It is every year, but this one's going to be going to be pretty special. Um, we'll come back Sunday, do a reaction to that. Talk a little bit about ACC's tournament seedings. And then uh, we're, we're still, we're going to do the recruiting pod. We really want to do that. We're trying to coordinate schedules with everyone. Um, there's also still kind of a lot of stuff going on with the 2022 and 2023 classes. So that might kind of be better saved until we get oh, like a little break in the season, let some dust settle in some areas. But in the meantime, you can find us at thedevilsden.com. Great review, subscribe. You can send us an email at thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com. And we've said it all year, but we need the most verve and the strongest face. Go to Hell Carolina. Mm-hmm.